So I asked Cindy to share something um, from last week, the conversation on solitude and silence. And I wanted her to share something um, from her perspective that I thought might be helpful. Hi. Um, Clara asked me to share because there, there may be one, two, three, eight, <laughs> all eight of you that... <laughs> um, might not be too sure about this solitude thing, and it, maybe being solitude or in the place of solitude is, is a little uncomfortable. But um, so she asked me from a single's perspective, what does that mean, solitude? And, and I said, solitude for me is an invitation to companionship. So it's a time to set aside to be with Jesus. So I'm not alone in solitude. And I think it's a, solitude is a great place to go to, to have that companionship with Jesus. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, if I were single, the last thing I want to hear is a pastor saying, I need to go into silence and solitude. I'm like, I'm already alone enough, you know. And so uh, I had a conversation with Cindy about it, and she really put it in a perspective that was very helpful to me. So I hope that was helpful. Okay, you know me, you need to all move up two seats. Yeah, so, yeah, that that would be lovely. <laughs> Two rows. You're getting closer. That's good. You know, you're a little cold this morning, right? So this will help, believe me, especially if you got wet this last few minutes getting in here. All righty. Well, I, I know you all by name, so I don't need to introduce myself. Okay. Hey, Kim, is this your last Sunday here? Or how much? Next Sunday is? Okay. I want to make sure that a group pray for Kim um, before she heads off. Nice having her here. Okay, are we ready? Okay, when I was raised, um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. So, like, unlike some of you that maybe were raised in a Christian home, um, I don't remember having my own Bible, and I definitely don't remember seeing a Bible in our home. You know, I don't remember my parents tucking me in at bed at night and saying prayers over me. And um, so I did not understand that church was a community of people. I thought it was building. So there are a lot of things I missed because of my childhood. And so it wasn't until I was about 16 years old that I decided to buy a Bible. And it wasn't because I intended to read it, but it was because in order to be a camp counselor at Camp Fox, you had to have a Bible. So that was my intention. Um, I really did not like reading books. I've said this before, but I hated reading books. And so uh, it was a lot more compelling for me to go outside and play with my older brothers than to find myself stuck with a book that I had to read because it was just too much concentration and it was very boring. So you could imagine that any pre-Christian attempts on my part to read this book that I had bought, first book I'd ever bought, it was a complete failure. I'd get into chapter one or two of Genesis, and then it was just a real boring start. So it wasn't going to happen. And it wasn't until I became a Christian at age 18 that suddenly the Bible became really alive to me. And as I told you before, that in the first year, I read through most of the Bible um, almost three times. I kind of didn't like Revelation. I remember avoiding that till later. But I just loved the Bible. I couldn't get enough of it because I had met Jesus, and I loved what Jesus had done for me. 
And so reading the Bible just increased my love for him. So when I graduated from high school, I went to USC for a semester, could not stand it, and I just wanted to study the Bible. So I eventually was able to transfer to um, Westmont College my sophomore year, and I loved it there because I was going to be able to study the Bible by people who really believed it and really loved the Bible, really loved the author. Now, it was there that I realized that you could study the Bible in different ways. In, um, you could study it like history or science. You could study it like a sociology or a psychologist. You could go beyond the devotional tendency and the ten- intention to make practical orientation applications. So there was a whole new world that was introduced to me there because what they were trying to produce were scholars of the Bible, people skilled in understanding the, the words in there. So it was there that I discovered um, how to parse and dissect and analyze the original language of the New Testament. And then I was introduced to critical thinking and apologetics, so that in any particular situation, I could defend my faith, the basic tenets that we believe in, such as the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was also introduced to new words that I had never heard before, pneumatology, hermeneutics, exegesis, eschatology. It was great. I loved it. This was all part of my introduction to scriptures, and academia did not kill my love for the book. It just increased my love for scripture and for the God. So we're going to fast forward 40 years, and I have heard thousands of sermons. I've probably read, uh, written maybe a couple hundred sermons. I have done lots of studies. I've read hundreds of books, commentaries, articles about the Bible, people who loved the Bible, people who didn't love the Bible. I've read inductive Bible studies and lectures. On and on it goes, all about this one book. And I'm here to say, 40 years later, I love the book and I love its authors. It's still amazing to me because I've met the author and he has totally captivated my soul and my heart. And he has made a difference in every aspect of my personal life. Now, some of you may have a similar testimony as far as loving God's word and feeling intimate with God, but some of you, maybe your approach to scripture has gone a little dry. Now, I know from some people, you know, when they think about studying the Bible, they think, well, that's for pastors and teachers and experts. You know, I, uh, when I go to church, I'm expecting pastor to provide deeper teaching. Ever heard that phrase? Deeper teaching? That's the pastor's responsibility. And in my mind, I think, okay, the definition of deeper teaching is, did pastor teach me anything I didn't know before? Right? Some interesting, entertaining, unusual factoid. And that's the mentality of the deeper teaching. The ultimate goal for deeper teaching is, I want to learn something new. And if I happen to engage Christ along the way, well, that's bonus. But that's completely opposite of what the scripture teaches. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all show, we all show, some of us more than others, but we all show God's glory, and we're all being changed to be like him. And this change in us brings ever greater glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
So if we limit our learning or our approach to Scripture to learn facts and get information, we're going to miss the point of being changed by its author. And it's been a waste. Even if we go to devotions and we're having devotional time and it's information heavy, but relationally deficient, we're going to miss the point. You know, I'm all for treasuring the Bible. From my introduction, you know I treasure the Bible. I treasure the tools and the skills that I've learned. In fact, I continue to teach those to people. I teach a preaching course every once in a while for VLI. And I honor the tools by which to look at Scripture and really understand what our God is saying. But more importantly than knowing how to do that, we must engage in the Scriptures as if it had a life so that we could have an intimate encounter with God. And in that encounter, change happens. Healing happens. Transformation happens. We become more and more like Jesus. But if we read the Bible like I should instead of I get, I have a feeling that we're going to run dry real soon. The New Year's resolution of reading through the Bible. You know, Claire did that one time three years, three times in one year. I'm going to do it this year. And so we push for that. And it can maybe get a little dry. You know, if we approach the scripture like uh, we read a newspaper article, you know, maybe some of you looked at your iPad this morning and you read some article in there about the news. You pretty much read through quickly to get the gist of the article, right? Or maybe you know the journalists or that particular newspaper. They're kind of liberal or they're kind of too progressive or maybe they're too conservative. And you're just going to go, I'm going to pick and choose what I'm going to believe here. You know, with a grain of salt. I, I would doubt that any of you started reading the news this morning with some hope of some transformation, some hope that you're going to walk away feeling greater peace. I mean, the news is full of bad news. When we were in college or in university, you have to learn to read quickly. You get the main points, remember some details, you cram it in your brain, and then you regurgitate it for a test. And then you forget it. You know, we know how to read for pleasure, for entertainment, for tests, for information. We can read maps. We can read recipes. We can read instruction manuals all differently than how we should read and approach the Bible. So what if we could read or would read the Bible, not as a textbook or not like a newspaper, but as a letter from a dear friend who's very invested in your life? And wants only what's best for you. And has something very personal and intimate to say to you. Now, what if the letter included information about his year? Or about a story? Or a poem? Maybe it includes a, a photo. What would that mean to you? And would you pause to think about it? You would maybe imagine the friend, the place where they were at. You would take time to think through what they're saying. I mean, you wouldn't read the letter and say, oh, look at the grammar. You know, I got a note from uh, my foster granddaughter this morning. It was a treasure. She spelled her name wrong. Am I going to point that out? No, she was trying to write me something, right? And so we approach it very differently. 
when it's from someone who loves us. So what would you do? Would you think, gosh, I miss that person? You know, I think I'm going to give him a call. Send him a text. Send him an email. You want to respond. Or maybe you would tell somebody, you know what? I got this letter from my lover, and I want to share a little bit of what he said. So when Randy and I were dating, uh, we would write notes to each other. We wrote love letters because, well, we were in love. And here's one of them. This is from me to him because I really did not want to embarrass Randy. I thought I should embarrass myself. And this was written in 1977. Anybody here was born after 1977? Raise your hand. After. Okay, so you're going to totally enjoy this. Okay, and it was, while well, he was at some choir event, so we were separated from one another. And it was five months before he proposed to me. So here we go. Now, back in that day, there was a cartoon character called Ziggy. Anybody remember Ziggy? Raise your hand. Yes, I love that. Okay, and Ziggy, for those of you who don't know, is this bland, non-emotional type person who has a big nose, bald head, and a nondescript body. Okay? And he's at his apartment, and it's pretty bare, but there's one little plant there um, in his apartment. The other night, I was talking to my plant about you. And inside, he's looking again nondescript. But the plant is like droopy, looks very dehydrated, and there's just this puddle of liquid. Most likely, it was crying. I'm not sure what's wrong now, but I think it's in love. Yeah, cute. So now I've got to read you what I wrote. Hi, Randy. <laughs> this is crazy. No, no, no. I wanted you to know that I'm thinking about you today. And not only that, but I'm praying for us and you. I can't even begin to thank our precious Savior for the gift of fellowship we have had together. These special times have meant a lot to my spiritual growth, my personal and emotional maturity. I don't know what you're doing right now, but my prayer is that you remember that he died for you because he likes you a lot. Randy, thank you for caring for me the way you do. The things you say and do for me help me help the vision of his perfect care and love become clearer. I see his radiance shine through those glorious God-given eyes of yours so many times that I've come to be near to seeing more and more in him in you. Praise God. I long to see you and wait upon the Lord to give us that perfect union together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking. I said, I long to see you and wait upon the Lord to give us that perfect union together. And I even wrote, uh-huh. <laughs> Be true, dear one. I write now with all joy, knowing that you are his before anyone else's. God be with you. I do love you, Randy C.K. Well, there you go. I remember the anticipation of getting a letter from Randy or a note. I mean, I could hardly wait to open it. Every word was meaningful. And I probably put a lot more meaning to every word. You know how girls, we do that. You know, what did he mean by that? You know, I think I was pretty obvious what I meant. (laughs) Anyway, um, Randy's always been amazing with words. And I think that if he had not been called to the ministry, he would have made it big with Hallmark cards. If you've ever gotten a note from him, it's just like, it's to 
placket. Okay, well, when we read the Bible, we should read it like a love letter, or at least written by someone who's crazy in love with us. And in it, it includes poems and stories and history. Reading the Bible as information will miss the potential of satisfying our longing for God, our longing for transformation, and our longing to have purpose in life. Study scripture is important, but if we stop there, we're going to miss the point. And reading it will do something very special if we would read it in a certain way with the expectation to experience this God that loves us. When we approach it like a longing for a lover, each word is going to sink deep. Now, some of us have been taught to read the Bible with these kinds of questions. What does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply it to my life? Now, these are good InterVarsity inductive Bible study questions where it provides cognitive answers but allows you to still be in control. There's nothing wrong with reading through the scripture for information or inductively, but if that is the only approach we read and use the scriptures for, we're going to come up short. We're going to miss the relational and the healing power that resides in the scriptures. So what if we were to ask different kinds of questions? Okay, questions like these. How do I feel about what is said? Where do I find myself resisting, pulling back, with what it says. Where does what I read resonate deeply within me? Why do I feel this way? Why the tears? Why the anger? What do my reactions tell me about myself? Am I willing to look at that in God's presence and hear what he might have to say to me? Now, something powerful is unleashed when we are willing to look beyond our mind, our intellect, and allow to go to that place of feeling. And when we allow the scriptures to control us, instead of us trying to control the scripture with our skill and our approaches to read it. We need to learn to pause and to catch, allow it to catch our attention. For example... Let's say you're reading Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Happy are you when people hate you, reject you, insult you, and say that you are evil. Now, you read that, and you might feel, if you're being honest and not trying to check out a goal of having read three chapters that day, a little resistance. Why? Well, stop and give yourself a moment to feel, and to wonder. You know, we might get caught off guard by our reaction, but don't be so in such a big rush to clean it up, to shoo it away. Sit there with the resistance and the ugly feelings. I mean, is God inviting me to see something? You know, I thought I dealt with that rejection. But maybe not. Here it is again. You know, take time to let your reactions tell you something about yourself and where you are with God. What does this awareness tell me about where I am? Am I willing to look at this, Papa? Is there something you're trying to say to me? 
Well, those are the kinds of questions I'm asking. I suddenly am opening the conversation to a relationship and I'm allowing the author who wrote it for me to say something to me from it. And that's when I get to the real me and to the real God. And with that kind of awareness and vulnerability, we're going to begin to experience potential that goes to the deep parts. And this is what I call deeper teaching. When I encounter God in my deep. So as I'm sharing this morning, I'm hoping you're thinking, okay, she's going to teach us something about some way to approach Scripture where I can encounter God and maybe get some healing and, and figure out what my purpose in life is. Absolutely, that's where we're headed. And I'm hoping you're connecting that maybe your way is dried up and that it's maybe not happening the way you had hoped it to be. I'm praying that you're longing for greater intimacy with this God who wrote this book. So we're going to pray. Well, Holy Spirit, we're talking about a book you wrote to us. (laughs) Amazing. So many thousand years ago, you were thinking about this morning in every morning of our lives and every time we walk and breathe, you were thinking of that moment and that time and we approach your word, Lord. You're saying, I hope she gets it. I hope he hears me. And so we just want to welcome you, Holy Spirit. Just come. Come, Holy Spirit. We need more of you. We need to encounter you through your word. We need to know how to do that, which is kind of deaf. We're asleep. We're dried up. And we need you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just bring life. Bring life into these words, into this practice this morning. Let it be like that rush of water, that that waterfall, Lord, that was just unending. And draw us closer, Lord. Let us get rid of our thimbles. Let's uncross our arms and get into the water, into your invitation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I've asked the ushers to come and pass out some clipboards. And in the clipboards, there's going to be something we're going to work through this morning, and there's pins included. And, you know, we're in the third week of a series that I'm calling More. And in the first week, I talked about our longings for God, for transformation, and for purpose in life. And then the second week, I talked about the benefits of silence and solitude for connecting with God. And this morning, I want to introduce us to an approach to Scripture that will help us engage with God. And this practice is rooted in the belief that as we engage with Scripture through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be changed. As we make ourselves open and available to God, God's actually going to speak to you and encounter you. And he's going to tell you things about himself, about you, that you were incapable of seeing on your own. Now, this pathway that I'm going to talk about this week is a, a combination of last week's teaching and this week's teaching brought together. And most of the information that I'm sharing from this point on is from four books. And I've I'm going to have them put them up there on the, on the PowerPoint so you can see it. 
what the four books are. Okay, Robert Mulholland, Invitation to a Journey, excellent book. Richard Peace, Contemplative Bible Reading. If you're a nerd in how you approach scripture and you're trying to figure out how to be unnerdy, you can still use your nerdy tools, and this book will combine the two. That's Contemplative Bible Reading. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton's Sacred Rhythms, Chapter 3. She particularly talks about the scripture. And then Brian Rice, Conversations, Chapter 139, Lexio Divina. So if you want to read more about this topic, I would recommend any of these resources. And I put them by order of how I would recommend them. Okay, Lexio Divina. Now, the church has been using this practice for over 700 years. And what it means, Lexio means reading. Divina means sacred or divine. So it's sacred reading is what the um, phrase means. And the practice has six movements. And I'm calling them movements instead of steps because it's more like a dance. Okay, and so the dance has movement, and you're trying to learn the one, two, three, one, two, three. And when you first are trying to learn a dance, it's very methodical and stiff, and you're trying to get it right, and you're really focused on the steps, right? So it's going to feel a little awkward, but the more you practice it, then all of a sudden you find yourself one with this partner, and they're just taking you all over the place. You're doing stuff you never knew you could do, right? And you can be spontaneous, and you can move. So don't. See this so rigidly as steps that have to be done this way. Initially, yes, but eventually you're going to become more fluid and move with it. So the six movements are silencio, lexio, meditatio, oratio, contemplatio, and incarnatio. Now that we got the Latin out of the way, let's look at the English. Silencio, which literally means silence. It's through silence and solitude that we ready ourselves for this lovely encounter with God through his scripture. So being silent and getting in that place of receptivity is what the first step is all about. And last week we talked about questions that you use to prepare yourself to encounter God in silence. One is get connected with your desire for God. Like, God, I really want to meet with you. And when you feel like that's there, then there's this other connection Get connected with God's desire to meet with you. And then you just become aware of how God, you want to meet with me. And you just get connected there. And then you ask the Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself to me? Now, silencio can take as short as three minutes or it could take longer. It's really your preference. You know, we don't necessarily want to be looking at the clock and saying, okay, time's up, right? It's really a time of receptivity. So if on the first step your desire to be with God overwhelms you and you find yourself just bawling, stay there. Just stay there as long as you want. It's okay. But it's through silence and solitude that we get disconnected with our activities and the busyness of life and in our head. We talked about that last week. And its aim is to let go of the worries and the distractions and the irritations and just turn our thoughts and our hearts toward God. So it's in this step, Silencio, where there's an inner shift from me being in control to the Holy Spirit being in control. This is what we're doing. We're disconnecting from me being in control and how I'm going to reach, approach Scripture to the Holy Spirit being in control of my life. Now, Robert Mulholl in his book, Invitation to a Journey, said this, one of the primary purposes of spiritual reading, Lectio Divina, is to allow the text to have control over us. 
and become a place of encounter with God. Instead of the text being an object controlled by us, the text becomes the subject and we in turn become the object addressed by God through the text. That is really cool when that happens. It's very cool. So we try to quiet ourselves and become aware of our desire for God, his desire for us, and asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us. And then we're ready to transition to the second step. Lexio, which means read. So we pick a few verses, four to six, not more than that, maybe less than that. And you think, well, how do I pick a text? Well, if you're using a devotional and there is a verse that can just like, whoa, well, maybe you should do it with that verse right then and there. You know, it's like lovers, right? We're at a party and there's lots of people and then we accidentally brush and we look at each other and you got that look. And, you know, the invitation is like, hey, let's leave this party and let's be alone. You know, that that pull that happens. That's what it's like. You're reading something like, something arrests you and like, okay, well, slow down. Stop the devotional right then and there. Slow down and pause and read with God. You know, you're listening to this sermon and you think, okay, the passage she gave us that we're going to work on is like four verses. That's a lot. Well, do that. Just take one of those verses from that passage and do what you're going to be learning this morning to do. Or maybe you're reading a book and there's a verse that catches your attention. Don't be so legalistic. Stop reading the book. Have an encounter with God right then and there. Okay, so when you get started with Lexio Divina, Lexio Divina, to begin, you may be more comfortable with a larger passage, four to six verses. But as you do it more and more, you're going to find Gosh, one verse seems enough unless you've got three hours. Okay, so but just go with the flow. Again, there's lots of movement here. So as you read, you're reading slowly. You read out loud two times in this movement of the dance. And, uh, you know, remember that originally the books that you're reading were letters, many of them. Some of them were poems, songs. And they were read, they were written not for you to read by yourself, but they were read, written for a gathering of people to be read. And it was read out loud. So this is the, the nature of, of these texts that we're reading. And so if you are able to have somebody else read it to you, that is phenomenal. But how many people, if we're silent and solitude, are going to be able to do that? So I use an app called YouVersion. And in that app, it's got... A bazillion, that's an exaggeration, but a bazillion of verses, uh, versions of the Bible. And most of them you can put on vocal. And you have this nice sound person talking, reading the text. And I'll use that a lot of times because when I'm hearing it and not hearing myself read it, it sometimes has a greater and more meaningful impact. But if I can't do that, then don't get legalistic. Read it out loud slowly to yourself. It will be fine. Okay, so the first time you read it slowly, you're basically reading just to familiarize yourself with the text. So don't go in there with your highlighters and your many color pens trying to interpret and figure out. No, just listen. And just listen and familiarize yourself. That's the first reading. The second reading is different. 
And in the second reading, it's more like you're looking to experience to what grabs your attention. Kind of like a highlighter that when you're uh, reading a textbook and you're highlighting something that grabs your attention. That's pretty much what you're doing in the second reading. Some of the authors refer to that as what shimmers or what shines, what glitters, what catches your attention. It could be a phrase or a word or a few words. And then you circle it or underline it or write it in your journal, whatever it is that you're using. Now, this process may feel like you are still the one who's under control, but you're not because you already gave up in silencio your control to God. And so actually the Holy Spirit is there going, He's there working with you to help you understand because there's something he wants to say to you. So you're partnering with him. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what you need, and that's how he approaches it. So now we're ready to move to the next part of Lectio Divina. But what we're going to do, we are going to, I'm going to give you time to do the first two steps right now. Okay, this is not all about me talking because you're going to fall asleep. That's just not going to work. I don't like people falling asleep. So you have a clipbook a clipboard, and you have paper, and you have a pen. You see that? Everybody has one? Does anybody need a Spanish one? Because I took the time to get it translated. No. All right. Well, if you have a Spanish friend, there are copies of Spanish ones out there you can take with you. Okay, we're going to take three minutes. Again, you could take an hour if you want to, but we're going to take three minutes this morning to do silencio. People on the soundboard back there, do you all have clipboards? Tony, Benjamin, you guys all have clipboards. Joy, Melissa, where's Jim? Do you have a clipboard? Okay, let me see it. All right. I'm desperate for us to get this. Because there's so much in his word that the Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. I cannot cram it in you. You don't expect me to, praise God. He wants access to you through his word. So I want us all to just know, cutting up, just really doing this thing. Okay, so three minutes of silence. And remember, this is where you're trying to quiet your your mind and become aware of your desire for God and then God's desire for you. And then you're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal himself. So just do that.
Okay. Right. For the sake of moving on, we will move on. Now, with Lexio, I'm going to read the passage two times slowly. The first time, just listen to it. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the Master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Now I'm going to read it the passage a second time, and this time you're paying attention for what stands out. And then you can write it down on your, your paper. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Okay, 
So again, you can spend more time there, but we're going to now move into meditatio, which means reflect or meditation. And there's a scripture in Joshua that says, do not let this book of the law depart from you from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So here in this step, we're going to engage with our mind and our emotions with the scripture. Now, meditation is not emptying our mind or ceasing from mental activity. It is about focusing our attention onto God's truth and just letting it kind of roll around in our heads. You know, um, meditation is more than cognitive analysis. Ruth Harley Barton says, it's an effective hunger and thirst or longing for God's personal communication with our soul. So if there's a hunger and a longing, this is what you're doing with meditation. And it's in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So it's very spirit-led and it's a a very spirit-filled experiment or experience. John chapter 16, 13 says this. When, however, the Spirit comes, who reveals the truth about God, he will lead you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak of what he hears and will tell you of things to come. So we see that the Spirit is very much involved in this process. The Holy Spirit will uncover truth in such a way that it becomes personal and life-giving and transformational. So now we're going to give you an opportunity to look over the words that stood out from the second reading. And I want you to ask these questions during the third reading. Okay, so I'm going to read it a third time, and you're thinking about the words you circled or underlined or wrote. And these are the questions. Can you get those questions up, Danny? There we go. Why did that word stand out? What are you wanting me to see? What do I need to hear, Holy Spirit? And what is going on in my life right now to which these words apply? And then you're going to write down your impressions to those questions. And remember, the point is to go deep. And deep does not mean new or interesting or entertaining. It doesn't mean complicated. It just means the deep place where you really are. So I'm going to read it, I'm going to be thinking about those questions, thinking about your words, and then I'm going to give you about five minutes to write down your thoughts after I'm done reading. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable, and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough 
to take part in every bright and beautiful thing that he has for us. I'm going to have to cut our time a little bit short. We're going to move on. But this, this spot right here, meditation, sometimes can take um, a very, very long time, um, just depending on how deep you want to go. And you'll begin to hear God interrupting sometimes and talking things to you and stuff. So, but we're going to move on. Horacio, response. Now, in this movement, we're going to respond from the heart to what we sense is God's invitation. So we're considering this question. What is my response to God's word or what is his invitation so here you want to express your feelings your desires your concerns maybe the scripture touched a place of pain you're not feeling joy it's you're not enduring well over the long haul yeah, or maybe you're feeling convicted of something or you're feeling overwhelmed by God's love you write down your response. You write down that conversation that you're having with him. And incidentally, everything that we've been doing through this, this, this is prayer. The silence, the lectio, all of that is prayer. So we're spending, what, half hour this morning in prayer together. That's kind of cool. So once that response is subsided, then you read the passage one more time, which then leads you to the next movement, contemplio contemplatio, which is rest. You rest in God and you're going to receive his love, enjoy his presence, and you're winding down and you're yielding to what he has been saying. Now, I'm going to give us time to practice both of those 
without doing the reading. Normally we would do the reading before and in between each state, but we're just going to not do that. You, uh, if you could put the scripture, Danny, back up in case anybody needs to refer to it. I meant to have that in your paper, but I didn't. So I'm going to give you about five minutes to do uh, contemplatio, and then we'll do the final one, incarnatio, together. I'm going to give you three minutes. Okay, I'm sorry to, to rush you this morning, but we're going to just want to complete this pathway that we're learning this morning. And it's the last one is incarnatio, and what that basically means, incarnation, meaning God birthed inside of you, and him then being expressed through you. Now, Mulholland adds um, two steps to the model. The original model only had four steps, and he adds the beginning and the end. And so um, the thing is that Lectio Divina is supposed to provide an opportunity where we encounter this God and where change happens and trans, uh, healing happens. And it's always unto something. And the whole process is this love relationship. We talked about a love letter, about lovers. It's this love relationship that's happening. God, the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are, are loving you through this process. And then you find yourself like responding in love and one of the things that I've noticed as I do it more and more, Lexio Divina, is that I fall more in love with God and I fall more in love with myself. Not in a narcissistic way, but in a real way of who I was made to be. My original design, his initial and desired intention for me. I begin to see it more and more and I want it more and more and I love who I am and who I'm becoming. Because I hear him tell me, Clara, you're beautiful. I love you. I have more for you. And it starts to convince me. And then the other thing that I find, I find I love people more. And I definitely love the lost more. So in Incarnatio, we are going to now respond in obedience to God. And it moves us into to a place of change and action. So this morning, we did this very quickly, and you would need to wrap it up on your own as you like. But I want us to 
pray about in your clipboard, you'll notice there's a second sheet. And the second sheet is what we just went through, but with nothing written in on it. So you can take it home and try it. Remember, it's a dance, so it's going to feel a little methodical and a little rigid. That was really choppy. Well, of course, I was limited in the amount of time I could do this with you, and we had to move on. But take some time and try it. And if you try it, then I want you to share with somebody what you experience. Because I find that when I open up to Randy or a friend about an encounter I had with God through Lexio Divina, it goes deeper. And all of a sudden, the tears just flow even more. And I'm like, this is weird. There's something magical, Lord, something mystical that happens in community. So I would recommend that you highly do that. It's like when a, a loved one dies and you start to talk about them with somebody that also loves them. You just start crying. We think about Eddie moving away. You start talking about somebody that he's moving away. You start crying. You know, it's just in community. It, it, it enhances the deep that's happening inside of us. Okay. Goodness gracious. All righty. So... We are done for this morning. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just continue in this process in your life. And then um, if you need prayer, there will be some of us to pray. And don't forget, we're going to the Emmons house. Okay? Take a program if you don't have the address so you know how to get there. All right. Well, Holy Spirit, just thank you for inviting us into a place and for instruction, Lord, that can help us to figure out the ways that you work. And I pray, Lord, that this seed would bear fruit in my loved ones. Lord, that the seed would break forth and push through the roots and push through the dirt and thrive under your presence and under your love. Father, I want your people to know of your deep love for them. And Father, that you would use us to love the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you want some prayer, come on up.